It is a real joy to be with you tonight here at Dalreda. I appreciate you so much for inviting me. The man that invited me is gone. He said, I'm leaving town when you go preach, so Terry's gone, but I appreciate uh, being here anyway. Appreciate Doug. Doug's a neighbor of mine. Um, I asked him where he lived, and he told me. I said, well, I live out that area too. I said, whereabouts do you live? He said, right around till you find it. I said, how will I know your house? He said, oh, you'll know it. And he was right. Alabama's all the only house in our neighborhood has got a scarlet A on his front door. I mean, I, uh, he is really Alabama. I bring you greetings from Faulkner University, from Dr. Billy Hilliard, our president, Dr. Cecil May, our Dean Emeritus of the VP Black College of Biblical Studies, and Dr. Uh, Scott Glees, who is our new dean of the Bible College. And if you haven't been to Faulkner in a while, come by and see us. My first wife, Lynn, is not here tonight. In fact, she's in Florida. She's in Jupiter, Florida. Been there now about uh, two months taking care of her mother. Her mother has terminal cancer. And if you'll keep uh, Virginia Ford in your prayers, I'd appreciate that. Uh, Lynn's been down there helping and taking care of her 24-7. And... Uh, we celebrated our 40, 40, 40, 40, 47th, 47th uh, wedding anniversary uh, on June the 30th. And uh, anyway, I appreciate you if you remember her. I'm a little bit upset. It was about a month ago, and um, I was down visiting her and, um, and her mother. And I was looking for my shoes, and I reached up under the bed, and I found this shoebox. I didn't know if it belonged to her or her mother. And she said, that's my shoebox. Put it back. It was a little bit bigger than a shoebox, but she said, put it back. I said, well, what is this? She says, that's mine. Don't look in it and put it back. So I looked in it. And inside this box, there were three eggs, raw eggs, inside this box on the bed. And looked like maybe a $1,000 and $1 bills. And I said, what is this? She said, that's mine. Put it back. That's not for you to know about. I said, what is this? She said, I don't really want to tell you. I said, I really want to know. She said, well, when you started preaching 47 years ago, I said, if you ever preached a bad sermon, I'd take this box and I'd put an egg in it. I said, uh, there's only three eggs in there. She says, I know it. I said, 47 years, three eggs? All right. I said, what's always $1 bills? She said, well, every time I got a dozen eggs, I'd sell them. <laughs> I won't explain it. I'll just tell it. The assignment given to me by Terry was to talk about the book of Lamentations. If you got, how many got your Bibles? Let's do a Bible check. How many got your Bibles? Hold your Bibles up. Okay. How many have got red Bibles? R-E-A-D. Red Bibles. Okay. Turn the book of Lamentations. For you deacons, that's over in the Old Testament. It's a series of mourning songs is what Lamentations is about. In fact, it's a, it's a depressing book. It's at the backdrop of the Babylonian invasion and destruction of Jerusalem. It describes a city that's a funeral about a city is what it's about. 
the terrible suffering of the people at the hands of its enemies. And I'll be honest, as I read these five little chapters, it was depressing. I was depressed after reading it. But with all despair and all the black clouds and all the terrible suffering there is, there is something, a wonderful ray of hope in this book of Lamentations. God had his man in Jerusalem. He would record the things going on and also to prophesy to the people and bring glory to the name of God. His name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is believed to be the writer, author, although it doesn't say his name in there, but he believed to be the author of this book as well as the book of Jeremiah. You know Jeremiah, and most time we say, what do you know about Jeremiah? He was a weeping prophet. And this is one of those books in which he spends a great deal of time lamenting and weeping. In fact, if you begin with the book, acrostic-wise and alphabetically-wise, he begins at each chapter and begins the beginning of the Hebrew language. And literally, and each verse has a different letter of the Hebrew language. And literally, he's going through the book and he's weeping and crying from A to Z, we would say today, as he talks about the city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah's an interesting fellow. He received his call to preach, and he didn't want to preach. In fact, he didn't. He was unwanted ministry. If you'll turn to Jeremiah, the book, chapter 1, and verse 4, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb. I knew you before you were born. I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet of the nations. Then Jeremiah said, Ah, God, I, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am but a youth. Jeremiah didn't really want to be a preacher. And yet there was burning in his heart that desire to preach. And he had, in fact, one time he tried to quit, but he couldn't quit. In chapter 1, verse 9 of of the book of Jeremiah, he's called to preach one sermon. And that was a sermon of judgment. It says, Then the Lord put on his hand and touched with my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I will put my word in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah was told that he's not to marry. In fact, God wanted him to be totally focused in on the preaching uh, to the city of Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah 16, 1 and 3, he didn't marry or was not to marry. He was a man of deep sadness. He, was, he openly cried over the sins of the people. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1, Oh, that my head were water, and my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I would bring, I might cry, weep day and night for the claims of the daughter of my people. He endured depression as a result of his message going unheeded for a number of years. He preached for 50 years. And had no responses. As a preacher, that's, that's depressing. It reminds me of Noah preaching for a hundred years. You remember building the ark and preaching? And the only responses he had was his wife and his two, three kids and, and their wives. His three sons and their wives. Can you imagine preaching a hundred years or fifty years and nobody responds to you? 
that's not like Jonah. Remember Jonah preaching? He was told to go to the city of Nineveh, which is a Gentile city, and to preach, to repent there, and, and he didn't go. You remember he went to Tarsus and said, got on the boat. You remember the great wind came up and they threw him overboard because he was the one causing the problem. And finally, a uh, big fish God made to swallow him up and threw him out. And then he went back to, and he did go to Nineveh. And he preached. He had, listen to this, an eight-word sermon. Can you imagine Doug getting up with an eight-word sermon? You might get a lot of response from that. He had eight words. He said, yet, therefore, yet in, eight, in uh, 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he went through preaching that, and not only did he have one response, he had the entire city, from the king or the mayor all the way to the lowest guy, to repent and put on sackcloth. That's the kind of preaching that we really need, I guess. But that wasn't Jeremiah's preaching. Because as he preached with his heart, he had no responses. When Babylon invaded the city of Jerusalem, Jeremiah's in the dungeon um, where they had locked him up. With all that doom and all that gloom, and I'll be honest, I am not a doom-gloom guy, but with all that, is there anything in the book of Lamentations that gives us light tonight, something that we can have some hope about, something that would give us hope to live the kind of life God would have? There is a passage, and it's small, but it's there. Turn to chapter 3, if you would, of Lamentations. Start at verse 22 with me. You thought this was a camp psalm, but it's not. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will rest or hope in Him. Don't you love that? You sing that here? Y'all sing that here? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That comes out of this book of Lamentations. That comes after all the woe and, and weeping and all those things. Jeremiah, by inspiration, says that. We'd have thought such a wonderful, beautiful thought would come out of such a book. And let's look at this tonight. Again, if you stay in chapter 3 with me. The steadfast love of the Lord. Steadfast love. That, that, that's a big Hebrew word. The word she's is what it is in Hebrew. And it, it's like our agape love. We talk a lot about agape love. You know, love says I love you even when you're unlovable. Agape love says God loved us and gave himself even while we were yet sinners Christ died for. That's agape love. And that's the word here. In fact, it's almost always, it's such a big word, it's almost always with a, a junction with it. Uh, steadfast love. Sometimes it's translated uh, merciful love or unending love or always in the RSV and the ESV, it's translated steadfast love. Steadfast love is an attribute of God to us, the faithful children of God, the covenant people. Even when we're not faithful, God still loves us. Aren't you glad He loves us when we're not lovable? I know, at least I've been told by my wife, there are times I'm not lovable. Can you imagine that? 
and yet she still loves me. That's that word. That's that agape love. That's that she's love that Hebrew talks about. Love that says, I love you no matter what you do or what you are. Steadfast love, then, is this great attribute God has and we need to have in our own life. This covenant, you see, that we have with God, it's a two-way street. You can't have a covenant or a will by yourself. It's for somebody else. It's you and someone else. And so the covenant is with God and with man. But God often keeps His promises even though man will not. And the Lord was angry, if you remember, with Solomon. He told Solomon, don't go after other gods. Now, he's supposed to be, and was, the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon, don't go after other gods. And Solomon went after other gods. And God said to Solomon, he said, since you've done that, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you, but... I'll let it stand as long as you're here because of David. But your sons, the kingdom will be torn away from them. Uh, Yet for the sake of David and for uh, what I've told him, I'll keep. That's in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9 to 13. And in 2 Kings, the next book over, it says this, Therefore, this verse 32, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city or shoot any arrow there, the city of Jerusalem, or come before it with a shield or cast a siege, mount against it by the way they came. By the same he shall come, shall return. He shall not come into the city, declares the Lord of God, for I will defeat this city to save it, for it will be for my own sake and yet for the sake of my servant David. He spared the city of Jerusalem, just like he prophesied he would do in 1 Kings chapter 11. And verse 9 through 13. So often throughout history of Israel, we see God getting so tired of the sin of the people that he has the city or the nation overthrown, but he always saves a remnant. Uh, Judah's always saved because that's going to be the tribe in which Christ will come from. Have you watched the news lately? I've just about quit watching the news. I've just about quit reading the paper because it's so bad. Things are getting worser and worser, is my Tennessee talk, aren't they? Somebody said if America doesn't repent and change, then God will have to Apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Folks, it's getting bad. But I'm not going to be here all that much longer. I mean, I'm three score plus. But my grandkids are. You won't believe this, but I've got 11 grandchildren. How could a guy look as young as I do and have 11 grandkids? (laughs) Oh, by the way, ladies, if you're worried about wrinkles... I've got the cure tonight for it, fat. The fatter you are, the less wrinkles you have. I don't have any wrinkles. (laughs) But I'm concerned about my grandkids and their children and their children. But our verse says, the steadfast love of the Lord 
never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Steadfastness endures forever. It's a phrase often repeated in the, new, in the Old Testament. Look at Psalms 100. Everybody knows Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise in the Lord. It ends this way in verse 5. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness of all generations. Psalms 107 verse 1 says, O give thanks to the Lord for he's good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's just a theme all the way through the Old Testament. The steadfast love of God. Now turn your Bibles if you would. I want you to help me with this one. Psalms 136. This is a class and so I want you to participate. Participate. This is called responsive reading. And it was written this way in the psalm for this response. I'll read the first part of the verse, and then you read the second part, okay? Have you got that? It's not going to be hard, because <laughs> you've got one verse to, to memorize. Psalms 136, Give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to God of God's. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. To Him alone great wonders. To Him who by understanding made the heavens. Don't die on me now. To Him who spread out, uh, spread out the earth above the waters. To Him who made the great light. The sun to rule over the day. The moon, the stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out of among the people, among them. With a strong hand and outreached arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down the great kings. And killed the mighty kings. Verse 23. He is who remembers us in low estate. And rescues us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Did you, did you hear the story in that psalm? Did you hear the Lord creating and how the Lord took his people and how the Lord fed his people and let them cross over the Red Sea and dry land? Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord, what class? Endures forever. Our text says it's new every morning. Whether we wake up with sunshine like today or rain like last month or two, 
rain or snow or sleet. Every morning is new with the opportunity to do good and to obey God. Um, I usually walk in the morning, and not every morning. I need to walk more than I do a couple of miles, but I try to walk in the morning. But before I get up out of bed, as I'm first waking up and my eyelids are opening, I'm checking the clock to see what time it is, the first thought that I want to have and almost always have is this. This is the day, can you finish it? The Lord hath made, I'll rejoice and be glad in it. I want that to be my very first thought every morning, and I try to make it that. I purposely make it that because I think that's the way we should start the day. I'm glad to be here tonight. In fact, at my age, I'm glad to be anywhere. Uh, Every day is a good day. And any time I wake up in the morning, it's a good day. It's a good day for me. My brother lives in Tennessee. And by the way, he's the one with the looks. I'm the other one. You know, always have an ugly duckling. That's me. My brother's a good, handsome man, always has been. Well, a few, a year ago now, maybe two years, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer terminal cancer. And I went up to visit with him. In fact, in the hospital, he was getting a treatment and uh, uh, he was in a wheelchair and just looking terrible. And and I was pushing that wheelchair and I was on this elevator and the elevator door was open and a lady was standing there to get on the elevator. And she said, excuse me. I said, ma'am, she said, are you two brothers? And I said, well, yes, we are. And my brother said, oh, no, I had to have cancer to look like you. So, <laughs> But he's cancer-free. He took chemotherapy and all of that and only had a couple of doses of that red and hot stuff, they call it, and, and, and prayer. It worked. And so now he's cancer-free. And he reminds me, I email him every morning and, you know, message him, good morning, you know, day's hump day and all that. And he said, any day I wake up is a good day. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. The basic necessities of life are simple. Food, shelter, and clothing. And for most of us, they are new every day. I don't usually wake up wondering if I'll eat today or not. There are people in this world that wake up every morning wondering where they will have a meal. Not if they'll go to Burger King or Hardee's or wherever to get a breakfast, but will I have something to eat today? We don't usually deal with that. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Let's, let's look at this just for a minute. It's, it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, or maybe sermons, maybe he preached more than one time about this. But in chapter 6, verse 25, listen to what he says. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, don't worry about your life. Boy, that would help us a lot right there. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or your body, what you'll put on it, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? 
I've looked at the sky before and it's been black with, with birds, black birds, and wonder, how do they eat? Who all feeds those things? Have you ever heard that, you know, my wife eats like a bird? You ever, ever said something like that? You realize birds, that's all they do is eat. <laughs> they eat all the time. But God feeds them. And verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add one single hour a span of life? And why do you are anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither they spin. And yet I say unto you, even Solomon, all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these, like one of the flowers. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is cast in the ovens, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, here's the answer to what he's saying. Do not worry, saying, what we'll eat or what we'll drink or what we'll put on or what we'll wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what things you have need of. Now the verse that we all know. Seek ye, what does it say, class? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Food, shelter, and clothing. If you get the first thing first... The main thing must be the main thing. Sometimes the main thing is not the main thing. But if you put the main thing at the main place, then God will see to it that we are taken care of. I love this from David in Psalms 37. David says, I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children breaking bread. And that's true, isn't it? Paul wrote that if we are a child of God, that we will suffer persecution. And that kind of bothers me. I have preached for a long time. I've worked at four or five congregations. And I don't know if I've ever really suffered persecution. I really don't know if I've ever suffered persecution. Well, mentally, okay, maybe mentally, but not physically. It may all change one day. But most of us, though, we're fed better than the birds, and we're clothed more richly than the, than the lilies. Every morning, it's new. Since my wife's mother is ill, and we've been trying to go down and visit with her, I have three daughters, and... Uh, they don't look a thing like me. They're beautiful. <laughs> One of them has seven children. Bless her heart. They bought a 15-pasture van. I said, what are you trying to tell me? She said, no, I think we're through. <laughs> so there's seven of them, though. And the oldest is uh, 11 and all the way down to three, two years old. And not too long ago, she said, I want to go see Grandmama, Gigi, they call her. And I know you're going. Can I ride with you? And I said, I'd be great to ride. So she came from Florence down to Montgomery here, and we rode together. And we talked a lot and sang a lot. We liked to sing the song. And uh, I won't tell you the song we sing, but anyway, it's a fun song. But on the way down, I said, April, since that's her name, April, what is the best memory you have, excuse me, you have uh, growing up? Now, we lived in Cocoa, Florida for about 10 years. Cocoa is only about 60 miles, 50 miles from 
Orlando. You know what's in Orlando? Disney World. And when Disney World opened up, I was excited. I lived in Florida at the time, and, and we got the cocoa. I bought a year's pass. We went over to, to I can't tell you how many times we went, but it was fun. And we'd go there when everybody else was coming to go eat. We'd go in, you know, and ride the rides and come back home because it didn't cost us anything. Bought that one year ticket. And I thought, what's your favorite time growing up? <clears throat> she said, I can tell you that without a problem. I said, what was it? She said, you remember when you used to take me to school? Yeah. To Fletcher High School? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. Fletcher High School is only about two or three blocks from uh, the ocean. And we would go by Burger King and get a biscuit and, and go out to the ocean and sit there and eat our biscuits and watch the sun come up. She said, Daddy, that was the best time of my youth. I thought, wow. What was so good about it? Was it my wisdom? She said, no, it was God's sunrise. How blessed we are. Did y'all catch the moon, that super moon the other night? Did you see that? Wow. That thing is big as a wash tub. I mean, it's big. God's love for us. Well, let me go on. Among the greatest blessings, of course, that God gives us that are new every morning is love, forgiveness, grace, justification. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever things I count as lost for the sake of Christ, indeed I count everything as lost, because the passing greatness and worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. For the faithful Christian, every morning it's new. If I go to a lot of churches and get to preach, get to hear a lot of sermons. And if I get to teach Bible class, I know what I'm going to teach. It's the book of 1 John. I love 1 John. I love the way John writes. He just, I'm just into that. And my favorite verse in 1 John chapter 1 is verse number 7. Verse 8 says that we all sin. He's writing to the church and says, church, we all sin. And verse 10, he says, if you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. So strong words. But there is verse 7. And it says, if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. The word cleanses there is interesting. Present perfect. And what that means is, When we were baptized, we were cleansed of all of our sins. And as we walk in the light, that blood continues to cleanse us of our sins. As we walk in the light. That's for every morning is a good morning. 
It's renewed every day is what our text says to us. We pray through Christ. Prayer a few moments ago, the good prayer a moment ago. Who was he talking to? He's talking to God, the Father. Who was he praying through? Christ the Son. Why do we do that? Well, he said do that. He said, Jesus said, no man come to the Father but through me. That's in uh, John 14. Well, why do we go through Christ? Well, there's probably several reasons, but one reason is because Jesus understands where we're coming from. Years and years ago, before videos and before all that kind of stuff, uh, if you had major surgery, like heart surgery, back in, back in my day, you know, that was major. Somebody, oh, he's going to have heart, open heart. Oh, no, not open heart. Now they, oh, yeah, zip him in, zip him out, put a zipper in, you know, just, you know, like no big deal. If it's, if it's working on me, it's a big deal. But anyway, they would bring in a patient that had that surgery that survived and let that patient tell the one who's going to have the surgery the next day what it's like. Why would they do that? Because they know what it's like. They know they've been there and done that. Jesus Christ knows what it's like, folks. When you're hurting, and we're all hurting. When you have problems, we all have problems. When you talk to God about your problems, Jesus understands. Because He's been there and done that. He's lost a loved one. Lazarus. He's had a friend turn his back on him, one that he really counted on, Peter, and denied and cursed him. He's, had, he's been sold out for 30 pieces of silver. He's had his entire group of men turn away when he needed them the most, John 6, 66. Jesus has been there and done that. And I'm glad to pray to Father through Christ because he understands. Well, I had more stuff, but this is a good book. It's only five. Take time tonight, maybe, and read this book through, and then reread chapter 3, verses 20 through and 25, because that's where it gives us hope. Am I supposed to wait right here or sit down? My wife's not here, so I don't know what to do. <laughs> you said 10 after.